you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I'm your host, Janine Garner, and I am super excited to welcome this guest to my podcast. Melissa Brown is a very good friend. She is part of my personal inner circle, and it's so awesome to have her on the show today, sharing a little bit more about who she is, her business, and everything that she does. Uh, She describes herself as an ex-accountant, an ex-financial advisor, and an ex-working till she drops. She is now a financial educator and business strategist. She's the best-selling author of three incredible books. She describes herself as an accidental entrepreneur. She's a shoe and chocolate addict, and she is all about building a life by design. She, if that wasn't enough, she is the CEO of the financial education business for women who want to financially grow up. Uh, She is uh, the director of business at the Long Day Early Learning Community called Thinkers Inc., And up until she sold the business that she had for seven figures in 2019, she was CEO of the award-winning accounting and advisory firm ATA. So three very different businesses that are all pushing the boundaries in their fields, questioning what is possible and disrupting their industry in order to create the best possible results for their community. She is also the host of her own podcast, Uncensored Money. Um, We have an awesome chat here. We talk about uh, how uh, this cultivation of busyness um, actually can be used as something that we hide behind as business owners, and it will stop our own personal growth. We talk about the concept of understanding your story, And the more we understand our story, how that enables growth to happen. And I also asked Melissa to share with you all the four different money types that she writes about in her book, Budgets Don't Work, But This Does. She talks about um, if fear wasn't in the way, what would you do? And shares openly on this podcast some of the decisions that she made that enabled her to choose the life she wanted and to design the life that she wants moving forward. So please enjoy this latest episode from my very good friend, one incredible businesswoman and entrepreneur, uh, the incredible Melissa Brown. I am super pumped to welcome the fabulous Melissa Brown to today's episode of Unleashing Brilliance. Welcome, Melissa Brown. Thank you for having me, lovely. (laughs) I'll be very honest to the people that are listening in. Melissa is a very good friend of mine. I think, Melissa, we've known each other, I reckon, at least 10 years now. Yeah, absolutely. Close. Yeah. So uh, our journeys have evolved considerably. Our businesses have involved, both of them have evolved considerably over the last 10 years. So uh, yeah, totally upfront. I know Melissa, uh, a very good friend of mine. She is part of my personal inner circle. And she is an awesome woman that I cannot wait to share a little bit more of. So, Melissa, 
Hmm. Let me just do some quick fire so that the audience can get to know a little bit more about you. So here we go. Where are you from originally? Uh, So I am a Western Sydney bogan. So I was (laughs) born in Blacktown Hospital. I don't think you can get more bogan than that. Um, And grew up in and around Penrith. Love it. And you recently, I saw a picture of you at a dress-up recently dressed uh-huh. in the You carried it off well. I Absolutely. I channeled it a little too hard, I have to say. There was a moment where I went, ooh, Mel. <laughs> That you slid into that a little too easily. <laughs> yeah, the roots. What do they say? You can take the girl out of the out of back out of black town, but you can't take black town out of the girl. Oh, yeah. The roots for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Generally, there you go. All right. Are you a hard copy book reader or a digital book reader? Oh, hard copy. Absolutely. Uh, I can't. I think I spend so much time on the computer and screens that I do not want to relax with another screen. So I love paper. I was saying that to a friend this morning. Uh, We were talking about how through the working week, because of you know, working remotely, being in lockdown, et cetera, the majority of our work is on Zoom. And so actually getting on Zoom to socialize more often than not, I say no. Because yeah, it's I just agree. so hard. Yeah. <laughs> Plus it's a sensory, you know, the book, a book smells. And I think that all leads to the wind down for me and the fact that you can escape. Yeah. yeah. I love like, do you fold the pages over when you get to yeah. the book? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> One of those. What is your favourite uh, book or TED Talk or something that you have read or heard that changed you? Oh, I love that. Gosh, there would be so many. Um, I remember the, so one is a poem. So it was Maya Angelou's Phenomenal Woman. I just love that poem. And it just so reminded me of my nana, who was from Hong Kong, who was really tall for her era and used to just to say to me, and I'm doing it as we say it, uh, Mel, stand up, put your shoulders back and just enjoy looking down on people. <laughs> but that Phenomenal Woman poem, there's just something about that and embracing the power of woman. Um, and then the Brene Brown TED Talk, uh, that for me was just so powerful um, and continues to be so powerful, all of her work. Yeah, both of those women are phenomenal. That looking down on somebody that your nan said, put that in the context. <laughs> She's so of naughty. <laughs> so I, because I used to, um, I used to, sh- uh, sh- what's the word? Uh, when you put your shoulders forward. Slouch. Yeah, slouch. Yeah, so she would come up and just knock me behind the shoulders. And and she would be very, um, so she was from Hong Kong, as I said. She was very regal. Um, so my uh, grandparents from Newcastle that were very working class, Scottish background, and then I had this very regal Hong Kong um, uh, nana and very posh. <laughs> And so that whole looking down on someone was real. Like she, I remember we were at an RSL club once and this beautiful Jewish woman came over uh, to, and she introduced herself to my nana and my nana handed over her paw like she was the queen. <laughs> horrific. <laughs> so she quite literally meant look down on people physically and literally. Uh, but she was also the most beautiful human. So she said it, but she absolutely didn't mean it. 
I love that. Oh my God. So on that, how do you think your your childhood or as you said, you came from Penrith, how how is for that Penrith? How yeah. which for any of our international listeners is in the western suburbs of Sydney? That's yeah, correct. working class area. Yeah. <laughs> so how has your childhood or that community that you grew up in, how has that shaped who you are, Melissa? Oh, it absolutely shaped me from uh, and it really shaped my stories as a as a young adult as well. Everything from that not being enough because I didn't feel like I went to the right school or or came with the right contacts or had the right upbringing. Uh, so there was that uh, coming from that Western Sydney upbringing, but also uh, so my childhood was extraordinarily. Um, uh, what's the what's the kind word? <laughs> So it was filled with a lot of trauma and, and disruption. So uh, the shaping for that for me for an adult was just that money, that story was just around trust and being very careful who you trust and the fact that really you can only rely on, on yourself. Mm. Uh, and I know I mentioned those two grandparents. Uh, it was my three grandparents. They, uh, I was so grateful for them because they showed me in very different ways from their very different upbringing, what unconditional love looked like and what a love, what a life that you can make for yourself that were all very different could look like. Um, and I'm very grateful now that I came from the Western suburbs, that I have that grit and that determination. I absolutely am not grateful for the trauma that I had growing up, but I absolutely see that that has formed me and has created that grit and determination and now as an adult, for me, it's about learning to trust and having that inner circle, as you say. I don't need to trust everyone. I don't. I certainly don't. Um, but I have an inner circle that's very important to me and that I am able to rely and trust on. So before almost realising and acknowledging that you can trust a small group of people and that you are able to do all this incredible stuff. And I know much like many of us that hit a certain age, we we do a lot of personal coaching development to get there. Yeah. Um, but before that, how, as, as you know, this incredible entrepreneurial businesswoman that you are, how did that feeling of not being good enough or not trusting other people negatively impact your own personal growth from a business mm. perspective? I would say that it slowed my growth. Um, absolutely. When it came to business, it absolutely slowed my growth because I tried, for me, it was so important that I do everything on my own, that I don't lean on anyone. Um, and it also meant that I would start something and then not see it through to its fruition, but then start something else and have that bright, shiny object syndrome. So I could never, because, you know, I couldn't rely on myself and I also didn't want to stop long enough to concentrate on someone that I had to be busy. Mm. And that's why I'm grateful to discover the work of Brene Brown that we talked about earlier because she talked about, she talks about, this busyness that we have and how really it hides what's going on underneath. And I absolutely had cultivated busyness as a way to hide that not enoughness and as a way to hide the fact that I didn't trust and wasn't leaning on other people. 
And if you'd asked me, I would have said that that was a really positive thing, that Mm. doing all these things was really positive. And look at, and I could show people, look at all that I'm doing. But actually, it was hiding what was going on for me. And doing too many things, not well, meant I can't look back now and I wished that I'd done less, but done, but really seen them through. So I definitely see that it's, it, um, my business success was slower. Mm. Even though I had great business success, it was slower. So what has been the key watershed moment for you that um, has uh, led to the work that you're doing now? I think there was a number of things. Um, One was understanding that foundational work of your story, Um, understanding that foundational work of your type and realising that we all don't have to look exactly the same. And, in fact, we need to look differently and to honour that and then to figure out, so what does that mean for me? And that's everything from your money story to just your own story and then how would that look like? through to the fact that I am a socially awkward introvert. So what does that look like showing up in my finances and my business? Um, and then and then seeing how that plays out. So the watershed moment for me definitely was realising that, but also mm. then taking that through to, okay, well, what does that mean for me now? And if fear wasn't in the wave, if I was actually able to live this, the life that I want to design and to step outside that story, what could that look like for me? And certainly growing up, um, I grew up in a very fundamentalist religious household um, and we were only very shown one very black and white way of the world. And also in the Western suburbs, I didn't know anyone that had chosen not to have kids. I didn't know anyone that um, had uh, more than one that lived in more than one home you know it was just this is the way uh, that you live this is the one path and for me now realizing that watershed moment of ha, huh, I get to choose the life I want to design people will absolutely not want that me to do that people will absolutely not want to embrace that as a matter of fact it will make them feel really uncomfortable and that's okay um, and the minute that I let that fear behind and went, actually, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks because this life and the story that I'm writing, as long as me and my family and my family is Rod and my inner circle, as long as, uh, sorry, not Rod, <laughs> Rod is part of my family, uh, but Tony, so I have a, a husband and a husband, so Rod and Tony. My husband's away at the moment, so Rod's my lifeline, so, which is why he came naturally to the floor first. So as long as um, Tony and and those close to me understood and supported me, it actually doesn't matter what my blood family or others think. Mm. Um, So that has been some really watershed moments. And that's, in hindsight, one of those things that's, yeah, as I said, in hindsight is an easier thing to acknowledge oh, that you've been so through. easy to say. It's and I have no well, doubt there are people listening right now and I know through the work that I do that that, that feeling of uh, fitting in, of comparing yourself to others, of living your life in the way that you're, you think your family or your family have told you to live yeah. is really tricky for so many people. And I have no doubt, Mel, that, that making that decision to choose 
to live your life in the way that you want to live and to essentially give yourself permission to ask yourself if fear wasn't getting in the way what would you do has hasn't been easy what what are some of the uh hardest trickiest things trickiest decisions you've had to make to because people see the outside you know of Melissa and everything (laughs) from a social media perspective but Mm. you know creating this life that you've created for yourself which is um, you know, inspiring on so many levels doesn't come without some tricky decisions too. How did you, you don't yeah. have to go into the detail of those tricky decisions, but how mm. on earth did you find that energy? Did you find that courage to push through to get to where you're at now? I think it was a snowball of decisions, a snowball of small decisions that all, looking back now, it was never one decision. Uh, so, for example, uh just uh, saying, uh, choosing to go to counselling when I was with my first husband was the first of those tiny little decisions. Um, being in counselling with my first husband and the counsellor saying, can you hear him saying he's choosing not to drink? What does that mean for you? Oh, sorry, he's choosing to, like he's choosing to, to drink. What does that mean for you? Was a, meant that was another tiny decision. Um, choosing to leave that marriage was another large decision and when and absolutely my parents didn't speak to me for months after that but it showed me that you know what I'm I I have the strength to make decisions regardless of what other people think um giving money giving my entire divorce settlement to charity because of a throwaway line my ex-husband who is a good bloke made to me and then realizing that was a complete stuff up. And I, now I had to really recover from that was another decision around. And then the decision to talk about that. Mm. You know, I'm a financial advisor, I'm an accountant. That was a really stupid emotional decision where I had to move into a frat house with friends. I had to, I had no money for wages, no money for bond. It took me a real, really a couple of years to come back from that. Then the, making the decision to start talking about those sort of decisions. Because if people could see that um, people like myself are in emotional states and not making great decisions, then maybe that gives them hope that they can rebound from that too. Um, But even uh, moving further decision not to have kids, Um, and I'm so grateful that my now husband, Tone, um, is that something he wanted as well. But even um, the decision to go to a counsellor and seek help for trauma that I uh, suffered when I was a teenager. Um, Definitely a brave decision. And if I hadn't made all those tiny decisions earlier, I never would have chosen to go and get help for that because it would have just seemed insurmountable and too hard. So I think people look at uh, social media or look at someone and say, oh, God, they're so lucky or, gee, they have it easy or look at everything they're doing, they don't realise the the blood, sweat, tears and grit that has happened and they, they don't see the scars because we don't always choose to show them. Um, but I would suggest that anyone that you see that you think they're lucky and they've got it easy, absolutely that's not the case. Um, and for me it's been a gradual showing of those scars, not because I want to, uh, or that it's some that it's something that I I don't want to curate or I don't want people to look and think she's lucky. Um, or for me to cause someone else to stumble when they don't realize 
how difficult it was and how many small decisions it took to get to this place. Mm, I love that, Mel. So what I'm hearing is the grit, the resilience, the ownership, actually, that this is your life um, to take control of. And as part of take control, taking control sometimes is we've got to do the work on ourselves to enable that next to karma. And, you know, when we first met 10 years ago, um, he, you were a traditional accountant. I can still so remember your branding back there. <laughs> it was coffee beans and I think there was a lot yeah. of bread in it. And it over, <laughs> over these last 10 years, you've reinvented yourself again and again and again. Uh, author of, I've lost count of how many books, keynote speaker, um, often in the media, talking from a finance perspective. You've built and sold uh, businesses. Um, you've shared openly that you are on a mission to be one of the few that can build three one million dollar plus businesses. Which I love the fact that you stand in that in that that spotlight of what you're doing. Um, so maybe just share with our audience well, what is it that you're doing now, and what is it that drives you now to keep going. Mm. So now, um, so. So my word for the year is the Duchess. I know that's two words. Uh, And my drive now is to step into that power, to not be so concerned with what other people are doing around me, uh, to not say yes simply because someone asks me to do something or to do something because I need to keep busy. For me, it's about stepping into that power and that vibe of the duchess where she's like no I'm I this is who I am I'm, you can see me putting my shoulders back and sitting up and it's so funny because when I put it out there people on social media if ever I talk about stuff and go oh you know I've, I'm I'm in this place at the moment people will text will message me and go come on the duchess you've got this you are the duchess like I love that uh, but what I'm doing now is For me, it's about focus. It's about uh, choosing to work primarily with women um, to increase their personal finances, to have them understand and educate them about personal finances and to help them grow uh, and understand the numbers behind their business. And everything is put through those two lenses. Is this is this what it's going to be? Am I? Is this the result? I'm also really aware of what I want to do and what I'm not. So I was asked by two different publishers to write another book when COVID hit, um, and I took my time and said no to both of them because it's just not right for me at the moment. It's just not the energy that I have at the moment, and I'd be writing it because I should, not because I want to. Um, and I don't want any of that coming in and it's tricky isn't it because yes I have assets and I've got income but especially like I I operate it's really easy to fall back into that fear mentality where if someone offers you up an opportunity to say yeah I should do that I should do that and for me it's saying no to so many opportunities at the moment because they just don't fit in my remit remit oh they're not right for me um uh, morning TV is one of them at the moment where I've said no uh, quite a few times this year. You know, I uh, my sympathetic nervous system hasn't been great with a lot of things that's been happening and just that live TV is not helpful for that at the moment. So there was quite a number of months where I just said no because it's like actually that's not healthy for me at the moment and I need to stay focused here 
Because if I want to really help the number of women that I want to help in this space, I actually don't have time to be feeling this way because it's actually important that my energy is there for that. Uh, So I feel really laser focused on what I want to do, which is exciting. And and it means that I now have time for thought leadership and for being a little bit controversial with the information that I want to put out there, Um, which, you know, brings its own challenges when people don't love that. <laughs> but it's it's saying, you know what, uh, the people that that message is meant for, that's going to land. And for other people, that's actually okay if it doesn't. That's a huge shift though, isn't it, as well? That ability to own the no's as much mm. as the yes is. Because I'm imagining when the, you first started in business and started growing your oh. businesses, and you've mentioned it a few times that it's And I think it's a trait of entrepreneurial women. I reckon I'm there. I reckon we've got many friends equally where it's the busyness of life and pursuing that dream. How many times when we met would we say, how are you? Oh, I'm busy. Yeah. I'm busy. That was like our default answer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually harder to actually do less. Yeah. But do the right focused work um Mm -hmm. and it's that that ability to say no I often say to people you know everything you say yes to has a cost associated with it and we've got to get clearer on what we say yes to and what we say no to what from your what advice would you give to people that are listening right now first of all from a business perspective to help Mm. with that focus And then um, secondly, from, you know, your area of thought leadership, this piece around, you know, so many people talking about wanting freedom, wanting to save up for stuff, um, getting out of debt, um, Mm -hmm. you know, same thing I'm sure applies in terms of get focused on what you're trying to achieve here. Definitely. Uh, So with business, it is there were, there were two. There was too many years, and when business is good, you can do this, where you can rely on passion to sustain you in your business. Whereas when business is uncertain, you have to take it back to basics. And for me, that's the numbers. I saw too many businesses pre-COVID where they just didn't look at the numbers, and their business was not performing as it should, or it was broken, and they didn't realize it. And I think COVID highlighted the fact that for many people, business was broken. And what I would say to business owners now is you have to know the numbers because if you don't, you can't understand the activity that you should be doing in order to affect the results that you want. And your result might simply be, I need cash to survive or I need sales. And you're needing sales. Then my question for you is, do you need, so what trigger is that for you? Is that increasing your average sale? Is that increasing your retention rate, your conversion rate, your leads, the number of times people do business with you, increasing the size of your community? If you don't know what number you want to affect and the activity behind that number, then you're wanting to increase sales is probably mean you're going to spend time on social media or you're going to spend money on marketing. And they're not necessarily bad, but they, but they may not give you the results you want. So for me, understanding the numbers and more importantly, the activity that drives the result you want needs to be what business owners are concentrating on at the moment. So that's business. And for um, and as far as personal finances go, 
it's really a lot of the same. So I think that too many people when it comes to their personal finances don't understand how much it costs them to live each month. They don't understand what sort of life they want to design. They're either saving up for a house because they think they should. They're overspending at the moment in COVID because they just want a dopamine hit and to bring in a bit of happy. Or they're paying down their mortgages because that seems like a good idea, but actually that actually you can't eat your house and investing, especially when interest rates are low, could be a far better use of your time. So for personal finances, we have such a low level of financial literacy Mm. and the Barefoot Investor for Australians um, has been great to some respect because it's made us understand that personal financial literacy is not impossible. But Barefoot took us, Barefoot made us all take a step, but there is a marathon in front of us that we need to keep going on. Mm. And for many of us, it's understanding, A, what's our money story and our money type so that we can set those beautiful foundations. B, what sort of a life do you want to design? Because only if you answer that, like what does that look like in five and ten years' time, only that can you answer what should I be doing in the next 12 months and then setting a plan in place for the next three months and one month and three months that then feeds into that one-year and ten-year plan. And I call that sprints and marathons. We need to be sprinting in order to get to those marathons. And too many people, as I said, are just not doing the basics in business and they're not doing the basics in personal finance as well. And this is not the time to cross our fingers and hope that it's going to get back to normal. We actually need to be doing something different with our businesses and doing something different with our personal finances because this is not business as normal for both of them. So we need to give a shit about this stuff and actually need to be doing something. I love the way you start there with that concept of money story and money type. And interestingly, Mm. it brings it, it's almost like a full circle to your own journey, how you yourself, the, the more you became connected with your story, with the highs, the lows, the shitty stuff, the good stuff, the more you started owning who you were, it enabled this, as you said, I chose the life that I wanted to lead. Yeah. And yet, so so there's a real beautiful connection there. And yet society, from a money story, money type perspective, if you look at how we access money, make decisions on money, all those sorts of things is very one dimensional. Yes. I know yeah. I've said to you a few times, please don't put me in front of another financial advisor that asked me <laughs> to do the, you know, traditional style of planning. Like, talk to me about what's important to me. Uh-huh. Um, but but it's like this massive gap between almost the individuality and them choosing mm. the life that they want, and yet a society yeah. that is trying to put people into boxes. So yeah. maybe for our audiences, can you just expand a little bit on that, particularly mm. the money type I think is really interesting, and I know it's uh, enabled quite a few people to have some awesome aha moments, which has given them that power that you talk about to make the choices that they want. Yeah, absolutely. So for the last decade, it was almost like as I was doing my work, I was starting to write about this for uh, Fairfax and different things where I talked about this concept of the money story and the money type. Uh, So your money story is simply the 
concepts that you receive from your family, from peers, from society, from advertisers growing up. And we all have a story. So that's the nurture side. And the question is, what it's acknowledging it and then asking the question, is that serving you or sabotaging you? If it's serving you, how can you amplify it? It's, if it's sabotaging you, how can you rewrite it? Your money types, too many, I hate that society and um, the media talk uh, that men are savers and women are spenders or where this is, this is the two buckets that you fall in, hate it. There are actually, I believe, four different money types and we're usually a hybrid of more than one. So it, there's not even four. Most of us are a blend of them. Uh, so they are the worker where your fulfilment comes from how busy you are, how from from the work that you do. Uh, the discerner, so for you it's your thought leadership and your ability to strategize and outthink. Uh, the creator, so for you it's about your ability to, like, words like manifesting and mantras, uh, your ability to create and to come up with a solution that someone else couldn't even imagine. So your ideation. Uh, and then finally the relator, who for them it's the networker, it's the collaborator. And there are pros and cons for each. So if we look at the relator last, absolute most at risk of sexually transmitted debt, most at risk of passing all their money off and trying to rescue everyone. Um, worker, on the other hand, most at risk of not investing and being so frustrated with everyone else because they're just so busy doing that they're not investing and they're not doing those other things and then perpetually frustrated that the other money types are surpassing them despite them energetically working longer and longer and longer hours. So there are pros and cons for both, but it's understanding, first of all, who you are inherently. In the same way that I'm an introvert, I can be situationally extroverted, but I am depleted by my contact with others. So I wake up with my five coins and by the end of the day, with all my social interactions, I have no coins, whereas an extrovert will be the reverse. So it's understanding that these money types explain how I inherently behave and then figuring out how can I use them to my advantage as well as being aware of the weaknesses inherently inside my type so that I can use them as a superpower. But it's, And that's where that not trying to fit yourself into a square peg. You know, if I said to a discerner, this is how you have to do it, no way except for this. A discerner is the most cynical of the money type and they like to go and figure it out for themselves. So if you tell a discerner do this, they're going to know, ah, uh, hell no, I'll do whatever I want, thanks. And the fact that you've told me not to do to do that means I'm actually not going to do it. So it's figuring out then if you're in a relationship with someone, if you're in business with someone, understanding their money type can change your dynamic around doing money. Because chances are if you're in a relationship with someone and you're thinking my partner does money badly, chances are they're not doing money badly. They're just doing, they're just a different money type from you. And once you understand that, you can then create, you can use the superpower of both of your money types so that you do money well, so that you both feel seen and protected and you can achieve your joint goals without either of you feeling unsafe and unheard. Um, and for me, that's key when it comes to money. It's having this language where it's not about judgment. And 
absolutely understand when it comes to money and relationships, it's the number one thing we fight about. We fight about it twice a month. So why on earth would you bring it up if that's the situation that's occurring for you? But if you can create this new language around curiosity, then you can start to have conversations with your partner where you understand, oh, okay, this is why. So I'm in partnership with a worker. I'm a discerner. Tone will absolutely put it all in cash because he just wants to see it in the bank and then work. And if I let him go, he would just work 24 hours a day. You know, he doesn't, on a weekend, he doesn't rest. He wants he wants jobs. <laughs> mm. So I don't rely on him to invest. That's something, that's my part in it. And But I have conversations with him around, okay, how much money do you need in the bank to feel safe? So let's make sure you have that and then let's have a plan to invest the rest. And for me, it's making sure that I don't have paralysis by analysis, mm. by thinking over too many strategies and that he can actually help to move me forward with that beautiful worker mentality he has. But in my business as well, Rod's a relator and he absolutely has a superpower of collaboration. Uh, but he also, when we get together, wants to talk through things, whereas I'm like, oh, come on, can't we get, just get through this? If I understand that, I can then allow space to collaborate with him knowing that I'll get the best out of him if I do that. But also I can harness his incredible power of networking to use those relationships so that our business can be strengthened and moved forward, which is not natural to me. So that's the different types, but also an explanation of, well, this is how we use them in a really positive way. Mm. Why is it important from your perspective, Mel, that we change this conversation about money? For some people, I have no doubt that are listening to this, there'll be a bit of ickiness around, oh, yeah. uh, you know, an open conversation about money. For others, um, it's the thing that fuels them. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, this this work that you have around understanding your money type is so powerful to enable relationships, conversations to actually come from a place of non-judgment, openness yeah. to allow opportunity to get created but from your perspective why is it so important that we change the dialogue around the money there are so many reasons uh, but if I if I use my own analogy someone once asked me recently why are you so passionate about money and finance I said well actually I'm not I'm passionate about the effects that having great finances, having a a great financial situation can bring. And for me, it's choice. It's freedom. Um, And that freedom is a strange word, but for me, if I have choice and options, I then have freedom. And that's for maybe someone listening. The reason I think it's so powerful to understand and take control of your financial and business situation is so that you can have choice and options. I don't believe money should be, it should should be the end game. It's simply a tool to take us to the life that we want to design. And the more that we can remove our emotion from it and just see it as a tool, you know, I don't have any emotion tied into my car. It's just a tool to get me from A to B. It's about thinking, it's about having, thinking about money in that same way. It's about removing the emotion and just thinking, okay, 
This is simply a tool to get me from A to B. Where's A? Where do I want B to be? And then which of the many different paths and tools do I want to use to get me mm. to that point? And too many of us, as you said, have that have ick, have shame attached to money because we're not at the age and stage we think we should be. Or we're past, we, we've passed our peers and we don't want to talk about it because we don't want to make them feel bad. Um, I know when I started talking about, you know, the fact that I um, have the ability to, to work or not, that I've had two seven-figure businesses and I want to have a third, you know, less than 5% of women um, have one. Who knows what the stats are on three? I know people, I, when I've, I've said that to people, they were surprised, like, oh, oh, you're really saying that? I'm like, yes, I want to normalise this. Mm. These are just figures. But for me, the seven figures aren't exciting. It's the choice that I have with that. It's the choice to give back to my local um, women's shelter. It's the choice to uh, work on audits. It's choice. And I think that's what we forget in all of this. So Mel, this this webinar is all about unleashing brilliance. Mm. Um, I'm hoping people will go and um, actually find out a little bit more about you because, as you said, you've had two very successful businesses, uh, one of which is still you're now building the online business. You've got childcare centres. I mean, the, the whole thing is phenomenal and uh, there's so much we could talk about. <laughs> but in that spirit of unleashing brilliance, from your perspective, what has been the biggest factor that's helped you? And then secondly, what does that concept of unleashing brilliance mean to you? Hmm. I think that for me, it's and it comes back to a Brene Brown quote, and I, I'll muff it up. Uh, but she said something like, "When we deny this, uh, when we deny the story, we deny ourselves. But when we own the story, we can create a brave new ending." Um, and for me, that's everything when it comes to unleashing brilliance. For so long, for me particularly, I had an armor that was so. For me, it was all about resilience. It was an armor that was so tough. That and a, and that involved busyness. That involved everything because it was just so important that you didn't penetrate this. It was so important that I wasn't harmed. That that um, that I that I couldn't unleash brilliance because this took so much effort to hold up. That actually I couldn't be everything that I was able to be. Um, but when I started making those decisions that we talked about to reduce that armour and to lay it down and to put on something different. For me, that's when I realised I was able to unleash brilliance, not just in myself but in those that I work with. Mm. Um, and that's the thing that I think for people. It seems so strange to say, okay, well, if you can do that for yourself, you can affect your business, you can affect your finances, but it can because uh, I, I talk to too many people where that's absolutely a point where they believe that they can't uh, or it's not for them. And it absolutely is. It's just starting to unwind some of these stories, some of these things that we're carrying that are so wrong um, and figure out how do we want to write our own brave new ending and then just actually take steps to start doing it. Mm. 
And we need people around us to to do that. And as, as I said at the beginning of this, this show, we've known each other for probably 10 years. Mm. But I don't reckon that at least for half of that time, uh, either of us let our armour down. We were doing no. what we thought we had to do. And I would mm-hmm. absolutely say and honour our friendship now that in the last few years, actually probably one of the good things of COVID Mm. is that we've all had to reach out and support each other um, from a place of no judgment, from a place of support, from a place of um, being vulnerable and open and honest. And we can read about this stuff. But I know from a personal perspective, I've had to work really hard to let people in too because of Mm. all those stories. But when you start getting a taster of it, it's like, oh, it's like a bit of a drug. It's like this is actually really nice that someone's got my back and is asking about me. So to mm. your point of, um, you know, unleashing brilliance, it's it, you can have all the dreams written down in a journal and all the vision boards created, um, the business plans there, but it actually you have to lead yourself first, um, which I think is what you're saying. You've got to take ownership of your own story to enable the rest of it to be created which is absolutely and then take action like if you're owning it doing that work is one thing but then it's taking that action which is absolutely frightening (laughs) you know I I remember putting things into books going oh I don't think I can I don't think I can put that out there I remember the first time that I spoke publicly about my trauma for um Good Shepherd uh no it wasn't Good Shepherd microphone it was um Dress for Success I remember feeling physically ill um and then of course it's it's it is what it is it's fine you know but the first time you do anything it's hard the first time you trust someone again it's hard yeah but it's again, it's those tiny micro steps that all snowball into something brilliant. Mel, if we could bring your beautiful Duchess of a grandmother, Nana, <laughs> like we called her, onto this podcast right now. Oh, you're going to make me cry. I miss her so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What would you say to her? I tell her that I miss her because mm. uh, she had dementia at the end, so it was incredibly sad. Um, I, th- I thank her mm. um, and I just would want to sit down and just ask her more questions. I would want to understand. So she fled Hong Kong during uh, World War II and I just would want to understand more. Um, certainly for me growing up, uh, I was grateful for her but I didn't understand enough of her story. And what probably one of my biggest regrets is not understanding my grandparents' stories more. I know a lot but, God, there's a lot I don't know. Um, and I think that's the same for all of us. You know, we we know, we understand a few layers of the onion, but, gosh, we don't see enough of the middle. And I, I'd i want to say to my nana, I want to, I want to know more. Like I just would, I want to know more. Oh, that's so gorgeous. I reckon, uh, I reckon she'd be right behind you right now going, thank oh. goodness I told you to stop slouching, my darling. She would be the one. Those high heels. No, she would be the one at netball games uh, when I'd be doing state and national athletics where she'd be there in the full colours of whatever you were wearing, pom-poms, 
go Missy and I would be mortified at the time she'd be in her heels and her skirt and her all her different necklaces mortified but now I would give anything for her to be standing there because she would be saying that now she would be there in her pom-poms going go Missy she would just love it I love it Mel how can people find out a little bit more from you how is what's the best way for people to get in touch with you so a couple of ways. If you're on Insta, come play with me at More Money for Shoes. I tend to give a lot of info over there and just explain finances and business in a different way. Um, or my website is Melissa Brown and I'm a fancy brown. There's an E on the end of brown, uh, .com.au. And if you sign up there, I have regular musings that I send out. We run masterclasses. We have online courses. You can buy my books there and more. Mel, as always, it is always fabulous to catch up with you and even more awesome to be able to share you with people on my podcast. Thank you so much for your time um, and I can't wait to catch up with you socially. You take care. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.